guys. Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. Got a fun episode for you guys today. We're going to yeah, talk a little 3D printing <laughs> and, and how you can 3D print your car. Well, not your car, but no. uh, we're, we're going to talk to the VP of product management over at Local Motors, Greg Hay. Yeah. Yeah. So this uh, is going to be interesting. Yeah. From what so pulling from their website, Local Motors is a ground mobility company focused on shaping the future for the better. Founded in 2007 with a belief in open collaboration and co-creation, which is the coolest part. A lot of their engineering, a lot of their it's designs. It's open source. It's open source from like universities, students, right. stuff like that. Um, so, you know, to boil it down, Local Motors is essentially a 3D printed car company, but they do some autonomous stuff as well. And uh, and their manufacturing processes are are out of this world. They're really, really cool. I'm really, really impressed with what they're doing. So we're going to talk to Greg about Local Motors, what they're doing, what the future of manufacturing with 3D printing and all that stuff is, some of the different technologies involved. So we'll kind of maybe try and teach you how they do it and give you some explanation on that kind of thing. One of the big keywords I saw when I was researching these guys is micro manufacturing facilities. So they're doing everything really kind of like small scale and then bringing it all together. Right, right. So I'm excited to hear what he has to say. You know, back in the day, what they would do is they would take wax uh, like for casting, they would take little wax pieces, they'd carve it out, and that's what they would use to cast thing. But now okay. they're actually 3D printing the parts that they're going to cast. Which makes sense. It's, it's, it's far more accurate. It's, you know, right. it's, you can, whatever. So we're going to talk to him about all that stuff. I'm really looking forward to that. Been waiting for this for a couple months. Also, Joel Fetter is here later. We're going to get the uh, get the update on what's what he's been up to. We're going to talk a little bit about Tesla and how they're retarded. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't, I can't. I know it's this podcast has been going on for over a year. We're coming Joel, up. On, are, are you on Tesla's side with this? Are you going to defend them at all? Or no? Okay. Well, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll hear from Joel's him later. Here. Joel's here, but his mic's not on. <laughs> We're going to hear from him later. So um, that's pretty sweet. Um, next week, I we had a list. I put up on the listener topics. Hey, what do you guys want to talk about? And one of the uh, one of the suggestions was four cylinder engines and swaps and stuff like that. Right. So I've gotten a hold of. Some industry expert on experts on four cylinder engines. Certain on four cylinder. So I picked out my favorite four cylinder engines of all time. Whether it's influence, power, modifications, enthusiast based, whatever. And it's funny you asked me before I saw your list. What are your what needs to be up there? Or maybe I told you you were like we're doing four cylinders. Yeah, and I told you maybe three of them. You're right there. Yeah, they're on there. So So I think we're in agreement. And we I called up. I did some research and found out. Okay, who can I talk to about these motors? That is going to know. Who are these subject matter experts? That's right. So we've got those coming. That that's coming up next week i'm looking forward to that that'll be our hundredth episode jake wow so that's gonna be that'll be a fun one and i will say i think with the four cylinder episode that'll probably kick off we're gonna have to do five cylinder and then we're gonna have to do the best six cylinders yeah well yeah we'll see there's we'll no seven cylinders so that's fine but maybe eight <laughs> well, cylinders if, you're, if your eight cylinders not working <laughs> yeah if you're gonna misfire on yeah, your you misfire. um so uh before we get into what's up with us i want to talk a little bit about hitting the subscribe button button absolutely so you can get some notifications when the podcast comes out when it releases when we're, sometimes we release stuff midweek kind of surprise hey we got a special little something for you so hit that subscribe. Chris is spontaneous over here it is it's true so hit the subscribe button on whatever format you use so you can get updated also head over to patreon.com overcrest here's some exclusive content get a shirt wallpapers videos of the episodes if we do it um, patreon.com slash overcrest feel good about yourself by supporting things you love whether it's us or anything else and hey you'll get some out of it as well you will exclusive you will. content and some free swag from us all right so before we get into uh the interview with greg what have you got for us 
Well, uh, are you talking about what's been going on this week? Because I was certainly working on my 911, and I, you know what? I'll cut the story short. I installed turbo tie rods. Yep. And I'm under the car, wrenching. It takes a big 19 millimeter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it slips. Oh. On my forehead. <laughs> I can see that from here. <laughs> so I have a giant red mark on my forehead from laying underneath my car. Yeah, it looks like, are you sure? Is this like um, where you fell into a door? Like when your <laughs> wife goes into the doctor's office? Yeah. Are you, do you feel safe yeah, at home? Yeah, are you safe at home? <laughs> you Chris? feel safe at home? So that's probably the only notable thing that I have. But before we get to the meat of the episode here, we got to mention our sponsor, Renline. We've partnered with them to offer an awesome discount. And really, all their products are so extremely extremely high quality and beautifully machined that that's really illustrated by the fact that they guarantee every single product that they create. You can get Renline designed performance parts for your European cars, including, of course, Porsche. They've been in business for the last 20 years and have developed over 6,000 products to meet the needs of enthusiasts. Uh, as I've mentioned before, what really sets these guys apart, though, they're not just some drop shipper or distributor. All their parts are designed and engineered in-house right there in Vermont. Which I really like. That's the best part. Absolutely. So be sure to check them out on Renline.com. Use the code OVERCREST to get 5% off your next order, along with free shipping on orders over 250 bucks. Cool. All right. We'll be right back with Gregory Hay. Hey, Greg, thanks for calling into the podcast. Yeah, gotcha. Hey, so uh, it's it's our pleasure to have you on here. I've I've been looking forward to this one. I was um, doing a little bit of research on local motors and um, what you guys do absolutely fascinates me. So it's it's great to have you on the podcast to talk about talk about you a little bit and uh, what you guys are up to over there. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So before we get into uh, local motors and stuff like that, I want to hear a little bit about your past and kind of talk about you. And um, let's start. Obviously, you did things before challenge manufacturing. But what was that? What? How did you start that company? What's the story there? Well, um, you know, I'm a designer at heart and uh, kind of a uh, guy who looks to solve problems. And uh, originally, I had an aftermarket distribution business for performance parts, uh, mostly out of Japan. And uh, identifying a problem, uh, I was seeing these high-end tuners that were making parts that weren't really suitable for the U.S. market. And uh, so I started looking at, you know, how, were, how so do I want to... Were the parts that were being imported just, like, sub subpar quality? Like, what kind of parts are we talking about here? Yeah. Not, not, not quality things. So it was kind of like high-end, uh, like, aero parts and, com- and composites and, like, titanium exhaust. So some of, like, the high-end stuff. So the product quality was there. It was a matter of just not kind of matching with the... U.S. market's taste, okay, consumer sure. needs, in sure. other words. So, what was what yeah, was missing? Yeah. What what hole were you filling there? Um, so, for one, it was the right product, uh, sometimes at the right price point, and just you know the U.S. market cars were even different. So, what kind of cars are we talking uh, about? Uh, early on, I got did a lot of stuff with uh, Honda S two thousands and then uh, BMW M threes uh, through a couple of tuners um, uh, out of Japan, and uh, with those. Um, great products, just like either some of, the, some of the cars in the Japanese market are so expensive compared to the U.S. market that even like the retail price would be like maybe 10 times what someone might pay for like a, a BMW composite part. Right. And just in, you know, and, and, and you know, in that market, it's a premium car, you know, it's like the same price as like a, you know, like a Lamborghini in the U.S. So, wow. you know, so the price point is kind of, you know, on that scale and it just doesn't really mesh with the U.S., you know, willingness to pay even. And, um, so I started trending away from that a little bit, uh, and it happened to be at the right time when the economy was kind of going, you know, haywire, and then the uh, exchange rates were all over the place. 
And so right. then those, those parts that were expensive got, you know, we're three times the price now. And so, or twice the price in some cases. And, um, you know, so now, now there wasn't even, it was even less feasible. Right. And so and there's so, obviously uh, a market desire for this stuff, but nobody can afford any of it. Yeah. Yeah. That, so that, that was the other, that was the other thing I had to, you know, put it over the, uh, the threshold. And so I started kind of along that pathway, started investing into my own product, product designs and, uh, starting with kind of things I was passionate about with like road course racing. So I was racing a you know, Honda F2000 at the time and, uh, was doing things like just kind of problem solving for my own needs. Right. So what, what do I need to solve a functional problem on, uh, on track or you know, I'm trying to take out weight or, you know, I need the right part that meets the homologation requirement and all these things like that. And kind of found a, a cult following <laughs> on the back end of that, just trying to, you know, follow my passion and, and uh, solve these problems technically. And so it kind of led me down the pathway of reinve- reinvesting into that continuously, starting a uh, challenge. And uh, from there, I got really deep into BMW uh, development. So did everything from kind of consumer grade goods that were just kind of, you know, uh, cosmetic and functional uh, from suspension components, exhaust systems, uh, composites, uh, aero parts, both full, full body replacement parts. And, and, uh, and now are we talking like, c- like carbon fiber type stuff or what, what are these yeah, composite yeah, parts? Yeah. Yeah, so you know everything from a full composite uh, uh, body panel uh, just for lightweighting to uh, front kind of front lip splitters and and uh, other aerodynamic aids like that, and had done everything from I would say you know things you'd see on the street to things that were to run in speed roll challenge for some pro BMWs. So wow. did this composite so, material handling and making this stuff is that kind of what led you into the local motor job? How did you end up with that transition? Yeah, so I was I was looking to get out of that business. Actually, <laughs> I was thinking kind of for my not, not to use the, not to use the, the word too much, but I was looking for my next challenge. And uh, and I found out, you know, through starting my business, challenge was the right word. That's just the right the name because uh, right. I chose like easy. I should have chose like easy peasy or something because it made life easier because <laughs> um, it lived up to, <laughs> it lived up to the name. <laughs> but that way. Well, it's a, the performance market's a tough place. Margins are you know people are really demanding yeah. and margins are slim. Yeah, and, and I was dedicated to to doing all my manufacturing in the USA. So all my parts I made composite otherwise were all done in the US. And I ended up partnering with a, uh, a manufacturer. Um, I was I did all design and prototyping and kind of first first articles, and then did the kind of volume stuff through uh, a manufacturer in Detroit. And so I took pride in that too, in my and the things that we did. And what what made it stand out and kind of become very quickly the the overnight kind of leader in the market uh, for BMW anyway was. Uh, our transparency, you know, we, they kind of follow the how it's made approach, right? So, you know, kind of showed, you know, here's how the, here's how the sausage is made. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, and, and there was truth and honesty in that, that people know what they're paying for. They got what they expected. Right. And um, that's really what helped us set us apart. And, and we're in the aftermarket uh, tuning business can be a little, a little shaky and a little dishonest. I was going to say that's refreshing uh, to hear in the aftermarket industry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah and, and, and my primary competitor at the time was kind of getting caught in some BS and, and uh, that kind of stuff. So it was the honest approach that, that, that helped me out with uh, getting a good uh, following and uh, here's how things are made. And, and so getting into over to locomotors, you know, um, I've always been interested in how things are made and, and composites and, uh, you know, my design background. And when I was looking for, you know, what I wanted to do next, I was in process of at a buyer for my company actually. So, um, uh, and I was looking for next challenge, and I had gone on to look at. The, <laughs> yeah, I'd gone on to taking on kind of rehabbing a uh, um, an arms manufacturing business, and kind of led the, some marketing design for them to try to pull the company out. They had great products, just they didn't know how to 
uh, create a, they're used to doing military <laughs> solutions. Right. They didn't know how to create a product for a consumer and for something for distribution. Yeah. Oh, so creating so, something for a military contract is a little bit different than Joe down the street that yeah, wants to punch BBC. paper. <laughs> yeah. Punching paper is a little yeah. bit different than in being, a, being in Afghanistan. Yeah. So you know, to, to completely different clientele and they had, you know, manufacturing was, was, you know, perfection, early new stuff. But they just didn't know how to like you know put it in front of the customers or you know retail and or you know resale, and um, you know showed them you know four hundred percent growth in nine months, <laughs> and uh, sure. you know and uh, they, they weren't going to re- reinvest in themselves yet. So uh, I'm looking for my next my next opportunity. So we're hiring um, just in case if, if you're able to with that kind of growth, we're uh, we're ready. If you want to come on board, we got a little studio here. Um, so before getting into too much about like the philosophy stuff about, you know, what local motors is, is all about. I, I want to talk and kind of educate the listeners a little bit about 3d printing. Now at, at core, you know, local motors does a lot of 3d printing. I mean, there's the philosophical stuff, what you guys do, but, um, so there's, there's a few different ways to 3d print. Now I think that the main one is what's called FDM. What's that? Uh, fused uh, deposition modeling. Okay. So, so that, that's actually, you know, that's kind of where that, the, the transition from my composites interest and, and, and development there. And, and, you know, even you know, my company kind of worked with like recycled composites. And so I'd already kind of been looking beyond what the market was doing. And, you know, locomotive was basically doing this carbon fiber reinforced uh, FDM printing at large scale. That's kind of what attracted me to it. I'd seen the strategy that they had done, you know, maybe about four months before I kind of started engaging locomotives. And really at its core, and I'm way oversimplifying this, but <laughs> uh, it's essentially a, a large com- com- uh, composite laminate structure. Right? You have layer on top of, on top of layer. So this is the 3D printing carbon. everybody's used to seeing, right? The this typical, is what you can buy yeah. in a $300 box for your right. desktop. And for. obviously you guys aren't using the $300 <laughs> ones from, from Taiwan to well, build cars. Well, well, no, we're actually using, uh, we, we did early on use MakerBots, and we still do use them today, and like uh, Mark Forged printers, which are kind of a high-end uh, sure. FDM printer. Uh, we will still use them to prove printability. So, like, because right. huh. um, it, it, it scales not necessarily in mechanical properties, but printability, there is probably like a 80, 90% correlation in printability. Okay. So, so you want you want to make sure that this stuff can be printed on a lower right. tier machine. Replicatable. Right. If that's a yeah, word. Yeah, because, you know, <laughs> yeah, if we, if we, if we have a fail, if we have a print that fails and it costs you $7 in material and then, you know, and maybe nine, nine to, somewhere between nine and 20 hours on, on a small scale printer versus running a machine that's at the time anyway, was six feet by, uh, was it, uh, about six feet wide and, and 12 feet long. Um, <laughs> and, and you're wasting, and you probably would have wasted, you know, 600 pounds of material. Um, you know, even just being, you know, looking at for the economics, uh, aside from sustainability, you know, there's huge benefits in trying to, you know, try at the right scale and then go over to it, especially if you're learning and, and pushing the boundaries or something. So how does, uh, how long does it take to print value. something that big? If you're talking eight by 12, you know, how, what are we talking well, about? Like how long does it take to print a, a car door, for example? <laughs> well, so, so we, we go beyond the kind of the component level, at least like currently. And so if I'm going by, you know, what, um, <laughs> well, what that, that, that six by 12 footprint, that's our footprint of now almost three years ago. Okay, and that's where we started. So our current our current printing capabilities, if you want to talk about where the state of the art is, our current printer is, a, as far as we know, the largest polymer composite three D printer in the world. It's actually uh, forty feet long, <laughs> ten feet wide, and six foot tall build volume. Wow! And, can you build structure? Yeah, can you build like physical structures out of this now at this point? I mean, 
Yeah. So, I, I mean, so we're doing structure, structural chassis right now. Right. Wow. What so, type of material yeah, are you? It's an additive process, I assume, still. Is this yes. aluminum or some sort of other? No, it's still, it's still no, it's all still composite. Powder. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, without uh, disclosing uh, certain secrets, it's basically about a, a, a 20 to 25% uh, carbon fiber uh, compounded in a, uh, a thermoplastic polymer. Now, how wow. strong so is this use, material? Is there like a relative comparison that would that we'd understand to 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 say how strong it is when you put it together? Um, it's it's close to aluminum in certain properties. Okay. Wow. So is it and is so, it brittle or is it not brittle? What kind of stuff is it? Yeah, I mean, like carbon uh, carbon fiber, like a traditional a composite laminate structure, it does tend to be brittle due to the resins in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is an inherent, uh, I guess, benefit or flaw, depending on how you look at it. And, um, you know, we, we have the same struggles as you had, even like, you know, how a carbon fiber monocoque chassis is made, like in a McLaren or a Lamborghini, where sure. your strong, your strongest properties are like in the plane where the, where the fiber and resin are together. But in between the kind of the stacking of fiber uh, of um, uh, composites, when you're kind of laying up the part in the mold, your weakest property is between the layers. And right. so we're no different. Just our just our layers are eighth of an inch thick, you know, per 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 deposition. Right. So it's it's most correlated to that. Uh, that's you know most basic level. Uh, without getting into uh, you know an hour long conversation on it <laughs> to go through the science, but <laughs> sure. but um, um, so so there's correlation there though, and how you de- how you uh, design the structures um, for you know application to a vehicle or even is that how you get uh, like you, you a, still have crumple zones, right? I mean, how does this material react to being damaged? Like a, like an aluminum or a steel will crumple and resist. How does this stuff work yeah, in that yeah. regard? Again, it's more more closely related to uh, carbon fiber structures or, or, or fiberglass composite type structures. Okay. And so, and so the benefit is, you know, when we're designing these shapes, you know, if you think of some of the intricate shapes you've seen in three D printing, um, we can do that same thing but large scale, right? So we're thinking about building these energy absorption structures and things like that. Uh, think about the intricacy which you can use these, you know, hexagonal shapes and all these sorts of things you can kind of now make into the structure which you couldn't do in aluminum without you know numerous tools and stampings and and glued and Right. So there's other so, types of printing too, like <clears throat> SLS and SLA. Are you guys using like what? What are those types of printing, and do you do any of it? So uh, SLS and SLA, they're using mostly powder-based methods, and so they're really great at, at getting getting consistent properties in X, Y, and Z orientation because basically it's powder in a bed and the laser melts it and fuses it together. Sure. So, okay. yeah, this kind of, so there's, there's pros and cons, right? So it's, it uses high amounts of energy and gives you great mechanical properties and X, Y, and Z orientation, but it takes forever. Okay. And the powders, the, the commodities, and the, the, whether it's metals or, or, or plastics, is, are hugely expensive. Okay. So by comparison, you know what what we do, uh, we're using material that's almost the same or derived from like injection molding plastic and pellets, pelletized uh, form. So it's already like in a commoditized form that's very inexpensive and industry standard. So do you the guys use any stamped products to go with the other stuff that you print? <laughs> like, is there about that too? You know, like there's like the the monocoque or any parts that are stamped that you have to somehow fuse the three D printed parts to, or do you just kind of bolt things together? Yes, yeah, so, so 3D printing doesn't solve all problems, um, and so that's the that's the thing I have to you know to to defend because uh, you know it doesn't solve every problem in the book, and so we do use um, multi material construction. So we do have, for example, on the current version of Ollie uh, our autonomous shuttle, 
on the floor panel that we use like a honeycomb uh, uh, layered aluminum panel because right? actually the least efficient thing you can do is print a flat plane because you're just be laying down rows of material back and forth, back and forth in one in, you know, one dimension. Right. And so there's better ways to do that. There's better ways to solve the problem. So using the right tool for the right job, uh, both mechanical properties and just from, you know, things are commoditized. You know, our, our A and B pillars for the door frame that hold the, uh, you know, the roof up on alley are extruded aluminum, right? Things that are available, you know, in any <laughs> aluminum uh, manufacturer in the world that, you know, right. that does it at volume. So, so it's, you know, it's a matter of using, using the right tool for the right job is really the, the focus. Right, right. So you have, um, what are some of the problems that 3D printing, like conventional manufacturing problems, what are you able to solve and do better than what other manufacturers are able to do? So the, the development time, uh, development cycle time is much faster because right? in the, uh, I'll just use Ollie for an example because it's the one that's, you know, right in front of us. Um, the amount of tooling and fixturing and uh, like stamping, obviously that would normally take, take up manufacturing a body and white for a vehicle are massive. So not just the part count that makes it happen, a little small welding, some bracketries and things like that. It's a matter of the time it takes to, to in the often cases, you know, outsource overseas the machining for steel tooling that's going to be the die for, you know, that, that, you know, that fender or that right. panel or that roof structure or the, you know, the massive amount of, you know, five or 10 parts that make up a lower belly pan of a car, of a, of a, of a chassis or body in white. Do you think this um, allows um, you guys to take more risks with design? I mean, cause I don't think somebody at Ford is going to do open source, you know, contracting with designs and engineering and stuff like that. But you guys can just, Hey, let's just do it. Let's try it. Let's make it. That's not something anybody, any conventional manufacturer could do without spending a ton of money. Yeah, correct. There's a massive investment to that. And so, you know, early on, we spent a lot of time and money just to develop the core, kind of the core competencies and the building blocks, get them right. Right. And, uh, you know, even when, you know, we were looking at trying to build a, a crashable structure right now, and, you know, we've done some initial tests that were, uh, that showed some original data collection from the first test we did. Cause it was just, that was just creating a baseline. No one ever had, had crash tested the 3D printed structure before. So this created a baseline for us to build simulation models and all the, you know, all the, the data we need to now feature design. Uh, how did the, how did the first test go? <laughs> how, how was the first test? So, so, so it went as we expected. Uh, <laughs> Good answer. And, uh, yeah, no, it, it really, it really did. I mean, it really performed exactly as we expected because uh, in the first structures, we didn't have baseline data. We didn't have any energy absorption structures actually in the vehicle at the time. Right. It was, you know, that, that structure was made to uh, correlate and design for structural rigidity and load and displacement. So that was the primary metric of that, that sure. mule. Yeah, I can't and imagine so now, trying what, what, to engineer that. Yeah, so now what the guys have been doing for the past you know, six months or more is taking that information. And we've been doing iterative development on uh, basically front clips of the vehicle that are properly weighted. And we have a, a drop tower in the, in, in the facility in Knoxville. We're taking kind of... Uh, do, doing data collection and we can, you know, we can print one structure one day, collect the data and basically ad adapt it and print another one the next day. Right. So instead of going through, you know, years of cycles to develop this, we can do it, you know, in a matter of a month. So despite all those benefits, you know, with, with what you've, with what you've been able to do, what are some of the new problems that you're encountering that maybe you didn't expect or that, you know, conventional manufacturing doesn't have to deal with? Um, it's all gravy. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, there, there, there's, there's a lot of benefits, right? So, um, you know, design efficiency is one of them, you know, so like when carbon fiber chassis first came out, um, they were over-designed uh, because there wasn't a lot of information on crash data and there wasn't a lot of information on how to efficiently design 
simulation models are kind of, you know, in their infancy. Um, and we're kind of at the same, same phase. So think of where carbon fiber chassis were or, or structures were 10 years ago. That's probably where we're at now. So there's a lot we have to prove and validate. And so we've got kind of the first milestones and we're doing it safely in a low speed vehicle now. So up to 25 miles per hour in our right. Holly product. And that's kind of where we feel that we're, we're safe, right? That's where we know we can repeatedly and safely deploy a vehicle. And, you know, the next steps beyond that, we start getting to the, the hurdles of, you know, a fully homologated highway vehicle 3D printed. Well, yeah, that's, that's what I was method. that's what I was going to ask is, is there any regulation oversight of anybody being like, hey, you guys need to be able to do it like this and put it in this and do it in this way? Because like right now, the the, the main manufacturers, you're, you're probably having to, to conform to rules that were built for somebody else. You know, the rules for the building a chassis weren't <laughs> those are rules apl- in general. Chris. Yes, that's yeah. what rules are. <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm saying that those rules were designed after 100 years of designing the the conventional, you know, you, you know, frame on bo- or body on frame or, or unibody car. So those rules and those crash standards, all of that was designed for that. Um, is there anything that's been kind of changing because of what you guys are doing? Yeah, so the homologation has been a, been a challenge, right? So I, I was going to point out one of the challenges that's been homologation. Um, you know, where you know, we're using kind of a, especially an autonomy, right? So aside from the manufacturing processes, we're, we're deploying autonomous vehicles, which is a challenge for basically all the OEMs, including us. But we're also, you know, we're throwing in there, let's say, uh, a 3D printed structure as well now too, coming to market. And so there's less, actually less issues on the manufacturing processes, um, especially in the U.S. where it's, we're, we're a self, self-certifying uh, country. So basically you have to, prove that you did your due diligence to due diligence if something ever came up. Right. right. And so oh. otherwise, otherwise you'd be, you'd be uh, legally liable, you know, for not having met the, met the standard or requirement that's published in uh, uh, FMVSS standards. So, um, and then, you know, from, you know, engaging with a, cause we're, we're a global company. So we're you know, also engaging groups from, uh, from Europe on uh, EU homologation. And there, they're actually a little more hands-on where they have a more, uh, strict rule book that they actually go through and the, the, the regulatory agencies come through and evaluate the vehicle themselves and they actually will come and evaluate your facility and your manufacturing processes. So you have to be able to prove like, you know, repeatability and, and safety and all those things, you know, on the manufacturing side as well as the vehicle being compliant. Right. So, so Greg, those, you, those, those you mentioned, you know, besides the rules that you have to homologate to, you mentioned design efficiencies, right? And so mm-hmm. back to kind of how these are built, I, I keep thinking of 3D printing as really like, it's great for rapid prototyping, but I have to imagine at some point, is there, you know, an economy of scale where it's basically... Now that we have this proven, there's a point where we should go back to the old school, you know, method that the big three are using and just stamp out these products, right? And change our manufacturing process. You're, you're such a pioneer, really, in this industry and how you're manufacturing. Do you see that you'll at some point need to go back to a way that you can do it more at scale? No. So, so there is there's truth in that. Right. And, and what we haven't found yet at our scales is what's the, the, the breaking point? where you scale up to do it the conventional way, because it becomes a, a point in time where investing in tooling and be able to pop things out fast that are, you know, if we did design the alley at the, the Camry of Ollie's and we know we're going to make a hundred thousand of them, 3D printing them doesn't become efficient at that point. Right. right. The, the time and the cost of producing per unit um, is consistent, whether it's one or it's 300, the cost per unit is approximately the same. Right. But, there's an economy of scope and economy of scale, right? So we kind of right. work on economy of scope. We can we can we can change and iterate the vehicle and upgrade the vehicle faster by using direct digital manufacturing or 3D printing, where we can, you know, integrate new drivetrains. We can integrate new features. We can upgrade the safety 
by changing a CAD file, not retooling a you know a billion dollar factory. Right, <laughs> right. it's right. so much more you know easy to change these things. So, does the yeah. mainstream auto industry fear what you guys are doing because they have so much invested? Or in, I'm curious, have they even noticed? Yeah, they, are they doing anything? <laughs> it seems like it's like a no brainer. So, so uh, I've had engagement from most of the, the world's largest automotive manufacturers. So we'll say that. And uh, so they've names, but basically <laughs> they, they've noticed <laughs> and, uh, and solicited us uh, numerous times. So, um, you know, the idea of manufacturing technology to, to, to them and then to aerospace is, is primarily because uh, one thing I talked about, we actually use it for tooling as well. So we can print a mold. Oh, and wow. basically print it, so you print it like a casting, right? So you start with a near net shape. So you're, you know, you're 80% or 70% of the way there. And you're just kind of doing fine machining to get the surface, you know, right where you want it for right. tolerance. So not so, only are you, know, you a competitor on some sense, you're you're a partner of theirs, and and you know you can be a, a supplier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're a supplier to ourselves, but there's also the business opportunity for us to do it for other industries. So you know we, we'll we'll do large tools for composite manufacturing or thermoforming, and those are already in our vehicles for the past two years. Um, where we, we we can make a mold. So you know, by example, we can I can make a mold for you know a large interior panel. I can make that in one day from end to end print the mold and then do the machining oh, right. where if I outsourced it to somewhere else, that'd be, you know, maybe two months. So, so the speed is, is also there. Tell us a little bit about Ollie. You're kind of your flagship product. What, what is Ollie for somebody that's never heard of it? So Ollie is a low speed autonomous shuttle bus. And so, um, it's an electric vehicle and it's a, uh, goes about 25 miles per hour max speed. So it's meant for kind of urban core areas, uh, campuses, corporate environments, theme parks, um, applications like that. And so uh, right now, it's not targeted to go on open road deployments, so we have a few fringe cases where we are doing that, and it's kind of looking towards our next steps. And it's meant to move people around a, a local environment where there's, you know, uh, a need for ride sharing, but also looking at how the vehicle can, as an autonomous vehicle, can start serving uh, underserved markets, underserved areas. What would you and consider so, an again, underserved market? So... Typically, this tends to be um, those that have accessibility needs, as well as areas that may be economically depressed. Sure. And so, because there's less, you know, wealth or taxation in certain areas, or less income, often those areas are less prioritized by the, um, the transit authorities. Um, or sometimes there's a gap, in, and they have, a, they have a budget that's every year. Hey, we have X amount of dollars. We need to make this work. So right. How do we serve our constituents? And some people fall off either through economics or you know other other bad, bad decision making. But there's gaps, right? And so through introducing autonomy, now you don't have necessarily a steward or a driver on board at all times where that person's, you know, creating drag on their, their expenses, even when the vehicle is not being used. So you have these areas that maybe don't have high utilization. So now the vehicle can be there kind of waiting to be hailed, so to speak. And while it's sitting idle, it's maybe only the cost of the vehicle that's, that's uh, you know, being amortized, but there's not the cost of human capital there sitting there doing nothing either. So how much, if, so, if mm-hmm. just in general, if a community or an industry wants to buy one of these for their, how much, obviously if you buy a bunch of them, they're cheaper, but general, what are these things, what do they cost? What if so, Overcrest so wants to buy one? We did see, <laughs> we saw on your so, Instagram. Yeah, on your Instagram, you have something that said, imagine a mobile podcast studio. And I, I sent that to Chris and I said, I want one of these. <laughs> <laughs> so what do they oh, cost? Yeah, I guess yeah, I guess a bit of work on those growth numbers for you. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. We, yeah, they found about three hundred fifty thousand. Okay, well, that's not going to work for us. <laughs> <laughs> so how, no, how, but in the grand scheme of you know public transit and everything else, like that really well, is a, a bargain compared to a bus. Well, what's a bus cost? Like a standard city bus. 
Uh, I mean, it depends on the on the on the scale, but you know, uh, on average, you know, the smallest one is maybe one hundred fifty thousand plus uh, up to plus cost yeah, of operation, half, half million, right? Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, plus cost of, yeah exactly. Right? You're paying so, a driver yeah, how much? Yeah, it depends on your wages, but probably you know somewhere <laughs> between ten and twenty dollars an hour. I don't know. Uh, right, <laughs> right. That on the region, but, well, I'm just trying um, to think yeah, of the paying the driver, you know, paying the fuel, sure. you know, all these different things that go into that. So you're not. The too point far is, off. it makes sense, right? Um, so yeah, exactly. Is there how will something like Ollie change the way people travel down the as you foresee things down the road? Do you think most urban communities are going to have something like this? Yeah, I mean, Ollie is part of a, a transportation ecosystem, right? Because it doesn't solve all problems, and nor does any part of the ecosystem, right? An Uber doesn't get you everywhere. A city bus doesn't get you where you want to go. Uh, you know, a, a scooter doesn't get you everywhere you want to go. Sometimes it's a combination of things to uh, to, to get you where you want to be. And uh, it depends on the environment. And so Ollie is just one piece of that pie. And right now it's kind of serving that local mobility uh, section where it's, you know, trips that are zero to three, maybe three miles in, in duration. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you're looking at how do you take congestion out of an area, right? Because, you know, uh, you know I've lived in a couple large cities in my time. And, you know, when you get into the urban core of things, and I've been to LA a few times, they could use a couple couple thousand hours probably to take some of those cars off the road. Right. Um, you know, to, to, to reduce that congestion. So it's a matter of efficiency and operations that helps, you know, use what's there and use it efficiently to move people around. For me, uh, using public the- transportation, I lived in San Francisco, so I used the BART and I used the Muni and I used a bunch of different ways to travel around San Francisco. And my own, my always my complaint was it was always slow and it was always disorganized and it was always a pain. And it was, so it's, it would be seeing what you guys are doing with the little cars that seem, you know, just efficient, People movers, you know, would be would be great. I really think really nimble, basically yeah, yeah, from just, a scale. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's that flexibility and the ability, you know, the ability to go on demand later on. So you kind of can, you know, pull vehicles in and out uh, of surge demand, right? So when, when you know the density is high, you run more and you make sure you have them going to the right areas and properly routed. Right. Right. Um, and, and then we don't need to be pulling back. Are you, you know, reprioritizing to other areas? So when do you think we're going to start seeing these things in most major cities? This type of product. Well, we're, we're launching uh, Ollie Fleet uh, locations right now, Fleet Challenge locations. And those are basically uh, an RFP to certain regions of the country. And a, so mm-hmm. a request for proposal, right? Usually these transit agencies put out this proposal and say, here's our problem, send us your bid, right? And tell us how you're going to solve the problem. Yep. So we're saying, we're, you know, we want people to adapt this technology and kind of dip their toes in the water and see if this is right for them and it helps them solve a problem in their ecosystem. And so to minimize the risk for them and give an opportunity to engage uh, both us as a company and as, as a supplier, um, we do a three to four month demo, basically. So we, we bring the vehicle and we ask them to cover some kind of the uh, operational and setup costs and kind of, kind of the cost share model. And we're going to these different uh, regions and um, uh, running these vehicles and probably anywhere between you know, three and five sites uh, over, the, over the course of a year, year and a half. Sure. Where we'll kind of look at different applications within these different um, uh, cities to look at, you know, how does it work in a university campus in, in Sacramento where we're deployed now. Yeah, so are we thinking like three years, program. five years, 10 years? When are we seeing these things all over the place, in your in your opinion? So when we start talking about commercial rollout, we're, we're going to start seeing commercial units deployed Q1 2020. And wow. that's going to be that's going to be the you know the right location, the right use case, because um, it's going to take some time for this to roll out. And I so want to see Ollie's every. I want Ollie's. <laughs> I want people to be sardined into those things because the less people that want to ride in an Ollie, 
or uh, less people that want to drive right. on the road and want to ride an Ollie that don't like to drive gives the, us more room. It gives me more room <laughs> and gets people off the road and makes room for other people that do enjoy driving. That's kind of like my caveat with all of this, because in the end, I don't really love any of the idea of autonomous cars, but I do like the idea that it's taking <laughs> taking vehicles off the road that are in my way. <laughs> And as a car guy, I, I can I cannot dispute that. So, um, <laughs> so I'm trying to free, free up roads and transportation for all for you know for everyone's benefit, right? So right, we benefit right. as car enthusiasts, and those who have needs for transportation also benefit. So it's a win-win the way I see it. So we'll, you know, so keep supporting us, and that just opens up more roads for you. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, the last question I have for you is: I have drawn a lot of cars in my life as a kid if i bring you a drawing how much is it going to cost me to have a car 3d printed custom what's i like this idea i like it so what, what have you well, got for so, me so so there's a there's a reason why we don't do that right so you're, you're, i'm not sure if you're a fan of the, i'm not sure if you're a fan of the simpsons yes oh my god a, yes the car the simpsons car that's the, 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 the Homer, the Homer, right? Ever see that? He, yeah, yes. they gave him a blank. I want a horn here, car. and I want a horn here, and I want a horn here. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so the, the, you know, not everyone's a designer, right? And so, uh, you know, <laughs> so that's why we don't open that. We don't open that can of worms. Okay. So, well, maybe you know, my we, design uh, is really good. You haven't even seen. <laughs> you, you haven't even seen it yet. <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I'll trust that it's good, but you know, I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> technically, technically, it's feasible, and uh, you know, if we went back to like looking at something small like the um, like the Stratty, which we did back in 2014, you know, that was kind of a small, I don't want to say golf cart sized roadster, and that would have theoretically been a car that was, you know, an EV that would have cost about uh, twelve, thirteen thousand dollars. Oh, see, that's what I'm talking about. That would be great like if you idea. could design a small car, or let's say you have your university makes one, and it's just. I think cars are so expensive, but if you could make like a re <laughs> a renewable way to build a car that doesn't waste a bunch of resources and is re reasonably cheap and safe, and someone could build it, that would be great this is so off topic well, but think about it if you had like here's your template for this has to be the drivetrain and chassis here's your wheelbase and you know how wide it is and then here's your driving position but the body and everything else you can make right you can make it look like the pumpkin from cinderella if you wanted to <laughs> right i like this idea chris <laughs> come on man come on greg we well, gotta get this moving <laughs> hey well, well the good news is the, the polymer composite is fully recyclable Right, so we can take that body bag, grind it up, and print you a new one. Yeah, perfect. Right, so. There we go. Because there will be a lot of trial and error, I'm sure, on this. Yeah, except for my design, which will be perfect the first time we do it. So, how can people learn more about Local Motors? Where do they go? Well, you start by going to uh, localmotors.com, and so there you'll see it could be introduced to uh, not only our co-creation platform, where people kind of submit their ideas of how how would you solve a problem that we propose. In this case, in this case, mostly around mobility, but also learn about Ollie and how we uh, how we think about the world. Right on, man. I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, we'll have to talk offline sometime. I got some great <laughs> car ideas. I'd like to float your way and um, they're all terrible. But we'll do. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot for coming on, man. We really thanks, appreciate Gregory. your time. Yeah, yeah my, my pleasure, guys. Thank right. you. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. I like Greg. I that like was him. really cool. Yeah, actually. yeah, it's I. I love the idea of 3D printing. In my head, you should just you can 3D print everything, well, right? I in, mean, it's, at a point, I think it'll get there. Yeah, I think that you know, I think of it in terms of like you remember when Star Trek is you like want to order like food or something. Oh yeah, the was it a replicator? Or what do they call yeah, it? Maybe something like so, that. I bet. Maybe by the time we're almost dead, which will be perfect timing, right? I bet they're 3D printing organs.
So I want to say there was a manufacturer other than the 3D printed a burger. I saw that. I which would, is basically they just <laughs> took ground beef and, you know, like on, laid on, it out. On Star Trek, everything just, <laughs> <laughs> it, it just appears. It just appears, right? right? And honestly, I 3D print stuff with ketchup when it's, you know, it's the store bottle. You know, <laughs> right, you can, right. oh, I 3D it's print It's manual a, 3D printing it's manual is all 3D. that is. When my kids have eggs in the morning, they've got the smiley face with the ketchup. I 3D printed that. There you go. It's, it's 3D in printed. In all seriousness, though, I mean, what Gregory was doing, like, this is very cool. It's very cutting edge. It's very cool. I hope you guys enjoyed learning a little bit about, about that process. Maybe as time goes on, as they, you know, they do other things, we'll have him back on to go into a little more detail. Because it's, Absolutely. I mean, this was like the tip of the iceberg. It was so hard for me not to go overboard with questions, <laughs> especially about the processes and everything like that. Oh, so if you guys really same. like that stuff, let me know, and we'll have him back on. We'll talk a little bit more specifically about the processes that are involved with right. 3D printing. All right, we've got Joel Fetter. He's been sitting here staring at us for the last 40 minutes. I'm sure he's ready to get on with the uh, with the newest. We'll be right back with Joel and uh, we'll get going. Hey, Joel. Welcome back, man. So glad to have you here. It's been a while. Yeah. How are things over at Motor Authority? Busy. I, uh, Very busy. I want to let everybody know that we're going to have a theme song for when you come you. in here now. And I'm just going to I'm just going to start it playing now. And uh, it's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> Do we have to let this play? No. No, no, not really. Okay. That'll be uh, What's great is I wasn't even here the day that but we... But you know what it is. Yeah. Oh. We just got to wait for the he drive. He surprised me with it, too. I didn't know we were going to do that until I got here because I don't follow oh, right. the garbage. <laughs> this isn't news. All right. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. I'll, uh, I'll mix the audio for it later. But, All right. So uh, the Joel Fetter Elon Musk update. Oh, boy. Okay. So it's been a busy week. It's been a very, very, very busy, busy week. Very busy week. We start right off on Monday, man, and we just keep going. All right. Well, I was started to make a list of all the dumb shit he said this week, but I, I just was like, I'll just let Joel See, talk about it. See, but I don't track it. the dumb shit. I track the news portion of it. Like, I mean, look, look last Friday, he tweeted about sheep, okay? <laughs> 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 and, and some web, websites covered that as news. We didn't, but some did. Right. It's it, not news. It's but not. But he was tweeting about sheep. Okay. Yeah. When you're a public figure, I mean, I guess things get picked up. I, I've never tweeted about sheep. No, no. Well, the true the president of the United States tweets dumb stuff oh, too. Oh, can't even go down that path. Everybody treats that right. as news. So, as well. anyways, anyways, this week, Elon this Musk. week on Musk. Yeah. So we've got they're going to introduce an insurance product, they, which is not a shock, and they talked about this before. So this uh, being Tesla. This is Tesla. Sorry, Tesla. Are they are they insuring against their cars blowing up in China? Hang on, let me just run down all the crap. Okay. So so there's insurance. <laughs> We're going to talk about autonomous self-driving cars, your favorite topic. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about dumb tweeting with Frank. Who's one Frank? Of my favorite. To- oh, my Lord. <laughs> okay. This is one of my favorite topics. Uh, autonomous claims, which kind of wraps into the self-driving thing. And a Tesla exploding. And I'm not sure I really love that. It really feels like a fire and then a small explosion. But exploding in China. In quotes. Exploding. It in quotes. quotes. When, well, you watch, when you watch a movie trailer, no one says something sizzled. They say it exploded. Well, so there, <laughs> well, I guess when there's smoke, there's fire, right? There literally was smoke and then there was fire. So, uh, okay. We can go in order of things happening. Yeah, well, let's, let's do, do it. it. Let's do it. All right. So, the, the, the fire thing happened first. That happened uh, uh, late over the weekend. That right. was in China. In a parking garage. Some dude charges Tesla Model S hours earlier in the day. Yep. And then he parked in the car garage. It was fully charged. And it got caught on video camera, on the, the security camera. That's yeah. the only reason it's all, like, everyone can see it. And we'll link that in the show notes so you can and, see and, it. And basically, Tim Motor Authority, we have an article on it. Yeah. And so then, basically, all of a sudden in the video camera, you see smoke, like, emit from b- the bottom of the car. And, and like, like a smoke machine under yeah, the exactly. chassis. No, like right? a smoke machine was below it, and like, like a bar mitzvah. And then basically, like, <laughs> and then literally, like, 
three and a half seconds later, it, it, there's a flashbang goes off because like like the like. Okay, okay, okay. Let me let me just say. Hold on. If you have a soldier, okay, and he throws a flashbang in the room, how would you describe that flashbang going off? The, the screen goes boom. Goes and then white. It, it goes white and because it goes blank. Right. That is it, called an explosion. <laughs> <laughs> but hang on. The reason it went white is because the light balance changed so rapidly. There was no actual bang. Because okay. of what you see, you see, you see, you see smoke. You see a little flame, and then you see a lot of flame. So sure. it was, it was a dramatic light change, is what happened. But if we're being real technical, about we're gonna, when you look up explosion in the dictionary, <laughs> dramatic, say, light, dramatic change. light change with with light and sound. <laughs> so, so the car caught on fire. They had to dispatch the fire eighteen fire trucks. Eighteen fire. Why? That seems excessive. I might be making the number. I have, I have to look at the number. Okay. I have to look at the number. Okay. Uh, but but it takes it takes a lot of water uh, to to put on an electric car fire it's, because you have to hot. cool the, you have to cool the battery so the battery won't reignite. Right. Because it's not just gasoline. Right. So once the battery you, you put out the fire, it can reignite. The battery's too hot, right? Right. I mean, it's just chemistry. Well, remember right. the Rimac that Science. Richard Hammond drew out, it, drove hey, off whoa, the whoa, cliff. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did you call it? Isn't it a Rimac? It's a Rimac. 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 Sure. Yeah. It's okay. Right. It's we'll, a we'll short eye instead but that of a thing, long one. That thing burned for, for a like while. For like three days. But again, you need to properly be trained in how to put out fire. So this is a, it, Tesla takes, it says it takes about like 3,000 gallons of water to put out a battery. That's a lot of water. What if another Tesla hits another Tesla and they're both on fire? 6,000 gallons. Yeah, we're basically at this point. I'm just, I'm more yeah. talking about the thanks guy. It, guess what? If three, if three Teslas take it, it'll be 9,000. 9,000. <laughs> nine, nine. Carry the zero. Well, if they're so, crashed together. So anyway, so Tesla is investigating. They said an So we don't have any we, sort this, of. Everything I told you is what we know. That's okay. it. And, and, and there's video of it. That's it. Hold on. So Tesla is sending an investigator. Yeah. They're taking it seriously. Yep. And that's where the story ends today. Like, yep. I don't, I like. This being to be fair, stuff happens with cars. They catch on fire. Totally. I mean, but, I, hang on. The, the, what's notable about this is, though, all the other Teslas that have caught on fire have been after a car accident. This is the only Tesla fire that has that occurred. He parked it, walked when, away. And, and, and it could have had to have, and the, the, the notable thing is it charged a couple hours before that, right? Right. So something could have gone wrong with the charging. It took a minute for it to, you know, happen or whatever. But, like, it wasn't in a car accident. The person wasn't around it. No one was around it. It was sitting locked by itself. Right. Just, just it committed suicide. I was going to say, it, it, it just didn't. It was like me. It was the me of Teslas. It didn't want autonomous cars. It just so said, I'm done. Committed suicide. Yeah, I'm hang done. on this before the autonomy announcement so, on Monday. This is the weekend. <laughs> it knew what was coming. Right, what else before, we got? What no, we got? before you move on, the most notable thing I took out of this story. Did you have a smoke machine at your bar mitzvah? <laughs> I don't remember. Oh, so he says. I don't so, remember. That was a so long time ago. I'm old. I'm older than you. So the answer is yes. <laughs> well, we had a DJ. Okay. So the answer is yes. Okay. Frankly, right, what, an hour ago, you didn't know I was Jewish. So. Right. That's why this is so amazing to me. <laughs> All right. So on Monday, we had the autonomy uh, discussion, and he broke down. This was a big speech he gave, this, right? This was not a speech. This is like a like tech a keynote. Summit. Like this was like an it's like an investor day. Okay. And basically, people from the media were invited. People that were analysts were invited. People from the tech industry were invited. Like this is a big real deal. It was live streamed for a I, conference call. I, I didn't I, hear about it. I did. I wasn't invited. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> so, so we were on the call, right? Um, I had to take my kid to the doctor, so unfortunately, I didn't. But our guy Aaron Cole was, and and two other guys were, and basically they laid out. So we already knew they were working on their own chip, right? Yeah, we so, talked about that last right, time, right? So this was their new chip. 
Okay, so now they're revealing the... They revealed their new chip. And what they actually revealed was the Model X... And, and by theirs, we mean NVIDIA or something, no, isn't no. it? No, no. This is... It is Tesla-made. It's a this proprietary. Is tes- it is proprietary. So okay. the, the Samsung is being sourced to build it, assemble it, but this is Tesla-designed, de- Tesla-made, sure. Tesla IP, 100% Tesla-owned. Okay. NVIDIA was building their chips. Okay. They already they revealed that in March... X and S's started shipping with these chips. No one knew it. Okay. And then wow. three weeks ago, the Model 3 did. So basically, if you took delivery of your Model 3 and it was built two weeks ago or three weeks ago, it has this chip. You just okay. didn't know it. And if you didn't, you're mad that you don't have this chip. Wrong. Because anything since October 2016 can be upgraded with this chip. Okay. It's plug and play. So how much? what's the benefit? for? They haven't laid that out yet. Yes. What is the benefit of this new chip? What does this Huge get us? Huge benefit. So th- th- this chip. So hang on. There's a couple things about this chip. And I want to be clear here because it's my opinion, and then there's people I respect's opinion. So Mark Boyajis, who works for IHS, uh, it's a they they are uh, in the tech industry. They're, they're, okay. He's an analyst. He he works with Hyundai and GM and all these automakers to talk it's about Hyundai. their tech. <laughs> okay, Since Porsche. you corrected me, Porsche. All right. All right. Let's so see. anyway, he I talked to him about this, and basically what he told me was I was on the. He basically said, in his words, I was at the edge of my seat during this whole call. Call. He's very skeptical on everything, right? Because that's his job. He said this was a Henry Ford moment for the industry in self-driving cars. Really? Like, really? Right. And, and hang on. If Elon says that, How much stock I just does miss he own? It. None. If Elon, because he's, he's a journalist. <laughs> if Elon says that, I dismiss it. If Engadget says it, I dismiss it. If Mark Boyaji says it, we quote him. Okay. Like really? we quoted him on green cardboards. Like that's a thing to me. So for him hmm. to be that, like I, he, bought, he bought a, he rented, he leased <clears> his own leaf. And he basically said, my car is now the horse, and that's the Model T. Like, he just invented the really? car, and I have a horse. Right. So, now, hang on. There's all these other issues, right? So, but, but just what quick, quick thought. What is going to happen? Okay, so now the Nissan Leaf is the horse. Yep. When is this going to be the horse? I mean, what are we... I so mean, this, this moving this, technology this is, is moving so fast. We like, had this right. discussion last time. Did I do this last time? Yes. I said the last 50 years we've yeah, been working know, we on one thing. Yeah, I we did this last time. And, I mean, this is, Day right now. Okay, sorry. Well, <laughs> but I'm, I'm just, here. Yeah, yeah, this time, we got him now. Uh, but, so, so hang on. So the, the, let me go through a few things on why it's important, right? So it has built-in redundancies. So if one part of the chip fails, the car won't crash. If it's well, that seems good. That's good. But hang on. That's, like, important. Other cars don't have that. So, like, that's a thing. It has the neural network. So are you telling me that if the chip fails on some of the older Teslas, it's going to crash? I'm telling you the autopilot would shut down. Right. Okay. Okay. This We're talking works. autopilot. This this is hundred percent of all about autopilot. This okay. is what the this is the self-driving part of that car. This okay. is what will enable them to quote do this full self-driving. Shut. And I want to be real clear about something. He made a bunch of claims that either I don't believe to be true or I think he's being too aggressive on timelines. Elon. Yes. Okay. Elon. But but when Mark tells me this was a Henry Ford moment, I perk up and say, okay, I need to like pay attention to this. Right. So the chip is impressive. The hardware and the design of it is impressive. The built-in redundancies is impressive. And what's more important is the neural network, which it uses, and I've done a bunch of research on this. Think of it like you got kids and I got kids and you want kids. So think about it. Your kid's born in this world and knows nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a sponge and it learns everything, right? That's what the neural network is. So the net, the car is learning. The car We're talking is about machine learning here. Machine learning. AI real machine learning. But it's not just machine learning in-house in the car. Because the cars are all connected to Tesla. So you drive a Model 3, Jake, and you drive a Model 3 and you see something and it learns something. It then goes up to the network of Tesla, and now every other Model 3 just learned that. Is this a Skynet going active moment? I was going kind of Tesla or Matrix, but 
Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's plugging into the matrix, right? Like that's kind of what we're just about to do. And the, fa- oh. the fact is, though, they have 400 and 150 some thousand cars on the road today. Now, not all of them have the Autopilot 2 hardware and this chip, but it's the point of no other automaker, including Waymo, including GM, including Porsche, including anyone, right. has a fleet of cars to provide this kind of data. Wow. And they don't need this hardware to provide the data because the current hardware can provide this data. It just can't machine learn from it. So Tesla's been gathering this data for years. <laughs> this is a whole separate topic. But this goes into data privacy laws and everything else that goes with thing. it. A whole different thing. Right. That's not even wow. Monday's thing. All I, all I want to say so, is, wow, to I think know, about that. I know. This is a whole new world, right? And, yeah. and and so what the promise was is the car is shipping with this hardware today. And they, they, they're saying that their feature, their full self-driving car is feature complete. And that's just feature complete. It's not legal. It's not everything. They're saying that this chip feature completes it. And they're saying that by the end of this year, it would be 100% feature and software complete. So this car should be able to drive itself. By With, next spring, given, it like, should be able to do it. Hang on. And he predicts in some areas it will be legal by the end of next year. He cannot say that. He can predict anything he wants. That's all about regulatory and legal. It's all about regulatory. Right now, it is not legal for anyone right. outside of an automaker with a special permit in special areas to drive a, a I'm just saying, car. There, in no world do I see that happening. I 100% agree legal. with you. There's no way in hell next right, year. But here, here's the thing. Is, is the environment ready for that car? You mean outside drivers and factors? Right. I mean, is the environment that we live in ready for this car with the with the completely varying roads? Like in California, you've got dots on the roads. And in other surrounding states, you don't have dots. You've got dashes. I mean, you've got... Someone else made it. This a, goes back to that machine learning thing. Right. But true. It also, that's true. But it also, right. um, someone was talking on Instagram that was like, hey, why don't we just get a spy hunter car and just dr- drop paint out the back of it and it'll crash Teslas? I mean, how the environment I don't feel is ready for this. You're saying there's too many variables. There are. There's way too many variables. They can say it is, but until it's out there learning, but, What's the learning process going to be? How many people? But it's are already here? been out there for two years. We, the, the Gen two hardware on autopilot has been out. Hang on, I want to be clear because I feel like I'm defending Tesla here. I'm defending the facts. That's it. Like, it's not going to. You're not going to buy a self driving car next year. Uh-huh. It will not be legal for you to go get a Model Three and have it self drive itself around next year. It will not happen. I'm telling you. So 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 but okay. So it's impressive, right? And this is leading to their whole robo taxi thing. They they want to launch your car, so you'd buy a Model Three. And they want to say, all right, fine, someone can rent it and it'll drive itself. As a, as a, basically, right. think of it while you're at work, your Model 3 is earning you money as a driverless ta- Uber is the concept. That's kind of sweet. And you split the revenue with Tesla. That's where is, they're going Is that with what this. they're doing with their old leases? Is that what the plan was? With so the original, old- if you look at a Model 3 lease, it says you can't, current today, says you can't buy out the car because they want to have it back for their fleet. Right. No right. kidding. That's what the current lease says. Now, I'm sure they probably are going to change that in two or three years. But the current lease, if you go lease a Model 3 today, yep. the lease reads you cannot buy out that car at the end of it. Because they're having you pay the depreciation for the car they're going to have in the RoboFleet taxi. Wow. Genius, right? Is this going to be That's like, uh, going what was this? the Sylvester Stallone movie on Mars where the guy turns around and he's like, hello, sir, I am your taxi. And the Robo Service taxi is called RoboTaxi, by the way. Of course it is. You split the revenue with Tesla up to 30%. Yeah, I was trying to find the theme music for Terminator, so I'll just go, dead-head, dead-dead-head. Oh. Dead-head, dead-dead-head. This yeah, feels like, okay, so he, you don't know the song? You don't, no, I do. Okay. Um, we have Elon Musk is now making it so your car can work for you while you're not even there. We're in space. We're at, this is <laughs> we're almost in like, space. I, it's I, I, like this all, it's just like some rich dude trying to conquer the universe, really. Yeah, it's almost like the East India Trading Company. 
So, so here's, here's the quote. I have it up in my authority. We expect to be confident enough where we think people do not need to touch the wheel or look out of the window sometime probably around the second quarter of next year. We expect to get regulatory approval, at least in some jurisdictions, toward the end of next year. Tesla e- e- Elon, CEO Elon Musk said that in conference investors on Monday. There is no way no any way. state will give him any sort of regulatory approval for that. Some state will if they think it'll benefit them somehow. Like California will not even agree to have so someone on, let me be saying clear. they Tesla, don't have to be driving. Tesla, Waymo, and other people already have legal ability and permits in certain places. For, for to, testing. For testing for right. them. Just That's to be clear, different totally than selling different. a car to a totally consumer. Totally different. I do not believe the end of next year or the year after that, you will be able to go buy a Tesla or anyone else's car. Right. But the point of this is, and this is what Mark told me, and... While I don't feel informed enough to, to, to have an, an opinion on it, to tell you one way or another, Mark told me that they're so far ahead of everyone else at the moment with this because of this. It's not even, it's not wow. even, and, and for him to say that. So here's the other couple of things that he said that is really interesting. One thing that I want to talk about though, in this regard is, okay, it's not going to work, right? You say it's not going to work. Maybe the technology, the software won't be activated, whatever. But you told me this when you got here that someone had hacked a Tesla and drove away with it. So here's no, the question. Hang on, hang on. Here's, here's what's from Reuters. Pawn to own. Hackers penetrate a Tesla Model 3's cyber defenses driving off with the car and cash. That, okay. That is during a hacker competition. Okay, getting, getting, so here's meaning, the thing. Meaning, oh, I got Pawn to own. Meaning they, meaning they hacked the car yep. and they... Quote, drove away with the car. It's white quote. hat. It's white hat. It's white yeah, hat. They, yeah. It's a competition. They hosted a competition. And they got the cash for the competition. But guess where I'm going with this? You hack a car and self-driving and you kill someone. Right. Yeah. This is, it's dangerous. 100%. Putting the technology there when it's not. But hang on, hang on. So all these new cars we bought. You just got Jesse a, a Golf, right? Yeah. And you, your car's too old. <laughs> and it's a Hummer exactly. H3T. So uh, anyway. So How would you ever know? Oh, God. So, but, well, it has a Volkswagen key now. So how would you know? <laughs> but different story. But the point is, so that Corolla I have out there, that hatchback, that's uh, my press car this week. Okay. It's got an electronic parking brake. Your car has an electronic parking brake. A lot of these cars have electronic gear selectors. Right. Someone hacks that car. It's connected with the 4G LTE signal. Right. Someone hacks that car today. They could change the gear selector. They could hit the throttle because a lot of these are drive-by throttle. I don't think all it's that integrated, though, as much no, as... No, but they want it to be, because if all these ca- cars are going to drive autonomously down a road together, they're all, all going to be traffic. talking. Yeah. No, they're not. That's the, And that's the problem. No, they they want to, though. They but want they're, to... They're not. That's the problem. These automakers aren't agreeing on a common language. Tesla oh. and Volvo, all these cars, the Volvos will talk to the Volvos, the Teslas talk to the Teslas, the Audis talk to the... Te- the well, the Volkswagen Group owns like 10 brands. But that's not the point. <laughs> the point is, they don't have a common language. They should all talk to each other. They don't all talk to each other. And so far, no one said, hell yeah, all our cars need to talk to each other. Right. This will happen quick. You uh, want to believe it will. I it, thought I remember thought USB was when USB was a standard. This is years ago. Before yeah, but that, hang on. If, they, if this was still going to happen quick, all these automakers are working on their own on self-driving cars. There's not any on the market yet. It'll take the market to be flooded. Hey man, you can consumers to be frustrated. That's what it's going to take, Joel. Consumers to demand there needs to be a standard, and then it will. Here's the thing. But then we go into what Chris and I talked about, where these all just become toppers. They're all just toppers on cars. What do you mean? What do you mean? They're all going to be electric cars. They drive themselves, and they just look different. Right. Toppers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really the, oh, that's so like the spiral. It's going to be the same chassis. It's yeah. going to be the same I mean, maybe exact not, but, but basically. software. It's just going to be one body. Your car goes 200 body. miles. My car goes 100 miles. His car goes 500 miles. But hell, underneath, it's just batteries and drivetrain. And it's all the software that's actually 
you know, changing the trim level. But hey, my interior's got hardwood, and his has got birch wood, or and yours has got leather that looks like it's got camo on it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Joel. You're welcome. Or Chris's has 3D printed the body to look like a pumpkin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think you'd be a self-driving car. Anyway. Anyway, so, so that's so that look, and so they did a lot of stuff, right? And then there's there there's so the autonomous claims are what we just talked about there. Right. And then the, the explosion. So the last thing we were gonna talk about, oh, they're gonna do insurance. He announced that they're going to do an insurance product, which so, is not shocking. So Tesla will offer insurance such as... It's going to be underwritten, uh, underwritten by someone else, of course. Just like sure. iPhone iPhone citizens, payment plan, right. whatever. They're going to offer their own whitelisted insurance. Basically, so you don't have to have to car insurance through a third party. So instead of going to the Travelers, State Farm, Farmers, whatever, you can go to Tesla You go to Tesla. Tesla you don't Tesla, you insurance. buy your insurance through Tesla. They're going to underwrite it. Sure. It'll go through your app. Which I'm surprised more companies don't do, actually. Not only should they not do it, but here's the thing. They have all the data on how their cars and drivers work so, so they, they can, can offer rates, the rates for you to, wow. so you get a better rate if you drive good if you drive like an asshole yeah. doesn't Geico already gonna, do that <laughs> come on yeah but they have to install a device in your car right this is all connected their car is already connected and not only that but here's the thing AAA raised the rates on S and X owners because there's so many claims sure so if Tesla's underwriting it so as Tesla, Tesla, wait, Tesla, did you just say that they're increasing rates on autonomous or on Tesla's no, AAA yeah AAA okay. increased the rates on the uh, here in 2017 AAA this on green carports by the way we own that site AAA in 2017 raised Model S and Model X premiums by 30% oh, due wow. to what it saw as abnormally high claim rates okay so that's why which Tesla by the way wasn't the it wasn't that long after a Model X launched and I can imagine why it had abnormally high claim rates <laughs> right. it crashed that car into a wall too so um <laughs> All right. Well, I, I don't know how I feel about all my personal information, my insurance being with my car company. That's Cons- what I was talking about. Data privacy they know when laws. you speed. Consider, they know when you speed. Plus, they also know where you're going. They know yep. if you went to Burger King instead well, of Chipotle. Hang on. Chipotle. Your phone's GPS. You think Google and Apple have been tracking us? Come on, man. Yeah, but you can opt out. Can you opt out with this? Sure. I'll go hire someone else's insurance company. No yeah. one's going to say you have to insure your Tesla through Tesla. True. No, no, but they certainly want And no one says to. you have to have GPS enabled on your Apple device. And no one says you, you got to do. do your loan through Apple. Anyway. All right. Anyway, in other big news, <laughs> Ford and Rivian are conspiring. Huge What's go- news. This is big. What's going on? So, wow. okay, hang on. First off, Rivian, electric startup, you guys call, this is the first time I was on the podcast, right? Yep. Yeah. And basically, uh, not that long ago, $700 million was given to them, invested by Amazon. Right. And That's right. right after that, like minutes, basically- uh, there was a rumor that GM wanted to get in bed with them. I remember that. Which would have been interesting. But they didn't. But they didn't. And no one found out why. And RJ Scaringe is the uh, CEO. He wouldn't tell anyone why. But he did a Bloomberg interview. And basically, during the interview, he kept talking about, and he talked about this in my interview, how he didn't want to do X, Y, and Z exclusive. And my gut tells me GM wants some kind of exclusivity. Like, oh, we can only use this for our trucks. You can't partner with our sure. own, uh, right, maker. Right. And that's not in Scaringe's business plan. Sure. They'll build, they're building trucks to build trucks for, and cars for their their customers. Yep. That's like 30% of their business plan. 70% is, we're going to sell you our skateboard. Yep, right. And, take, they, doesn't matter. and they don't care if it's to Amazon for delivery trucks or Ford for F-150s. They don't really care. Right. They want to sell you a skateboard. Right. So basically... And for people that don't know, a skateboard is the, is the it's battery. A it's a it's battery with motors and wheels. Yeah, right. they're chassis underneath their vehicles. It, right. They call it a skateboard because it's basically you got your wheels, you got your frame and your electronics. It's your drivetrain so right you know, there. We, what we need to do is we need to have Greg Hay make me a chassis that goes on top of the skateboard. Uh, that's probably what they will end up doing. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I, this week on the 24th, so that was yesterday, 
It's going to be like coach building. I'm sorry, but Chris, it's going to be like coach building in the future. We're going there. So you buy your chassis from Rivian, your skateboard, and then you go to Local Motors and you get whatever the hell you just wrote down on your notebook. It's far simpler than that. Local Motors goes to Rivian, buys the thing, and offers you whatever the heck you want. True. Right. Something along who supplies it. So hang on. So Ford announced yesterday (laughs) that they're announcing they're investing 500 million in Rivian. And it gets them a very minority stake in the company. Right. But what it does is it gets them a seat at the table, like literally, because the Joe Henricks, uh, Forest President of Global Operations, is going to be on the board of Rivian now. So sure. It gets them a seat at the table. It basically buys them into Rivian. Right. And they're going to get the skateboard for an unnamed vehicle. Here's the thing. So we did the math So what's yesterday. it going to be? So we did the math yesterday. F-150 battery, F-150 is already under development. It's not okay. going to be that. Okay. Hmm. The Ford Mustang-inspired performance all-electric SUV, it debuts later this year. It's already done. It's yep. not going to be that. So what That's could already done? The Mustang-inspired electric thing? Yeah, well, it debuts later, this, that year. Thing? Yeah. 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 Debuts later okay. this year. Yeah. So, so what's left so, is, is so something what, luxury. So it's either, my money is it's mm-hmm. going to be on a Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. It's, it, the platform is scalable, but only it's to a, a point because the, 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 the platform was developed for SUVs and trucks. So it's not going to be something small. It's going to be an SUV or a massive car. It's not going to be a car. It's right. going to be an SUV. So it's going to be a navigator. I'm thinking it maybe... Because they're selling the hell out I of that I think it thing. might be one size smaller. I think okay. it would be maybe aviator been, size. Okay. Um, like mid-size, large mid-size, like small three-row. Um, but, but, there's no... We, we did the five things it could be yesterday, and I wrote it. It could be... My money's on that. Okay. They also could make a next-gen ver- version of an Expedition if they want to do a slightly lower price point of, yep. of a Ford. Yeah. They could also do a different kind of pickup truck or SUV. So there's a lot of white space between a Subaru Outback and a Range Rover Sport. There's a whole lot of white space there. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so to create a battery electric vehicle that it can do off-road shops if you want to because Rivian built it for a truck that can do SUV that can do off-road, yep. mm-hmm. there's a lot of white space. So there's a lot of things they could do with this. Wow. My money is a Lincoln. Okay. Well, we'll see where we'll see where that goes. That's pretty big news. And the other Motor Authority article that I enjoyed reading was the Nurburgring record hunting is continuing. And yes. it's... I. I love that everybody's going after the Nurburgring record. And what what's happening, I think, is that Volkswagen is bringing their Pikes Peak record-breaking car mm-hmm. to... Not, you think that is what's happening. Yes, yes. <laughs> Sorry, that is what's happening. Yeah, that they are I bringing the Pikes Peak. I think that the news is happening is happening. Yeah, so they're bringing their, their Pikes Peak record-breaking car there. Now, it's a little bit different. It, um, actually, it's really different. Yeah. They debuted it yesterday, and actually, Nurburgring uh, Instagram posted photos today. It hit the Nurburgring for the first time today. Not, like, to actually do a, a record or anything, just to, like... Get on the track. Get some data. Uh, it, there's a whole lot of downforce going on. Like, yeah. it, it, it's a stick down to the track. It has so a, it's all aero. And this is all aero changes. This yeah, is their IDR chassis. So this is, the car that, this is the car that attacked Pikes Peak, destroyed the, the, the Pikes Peak. And what they've done is they've changed the aero. Right. To it be has a dip- curve system. It totally basically. has a curve system. And, it ha- and the, uh, the... The wing? The wing that opens up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It can, it can change uh, 20 to 30%. So not only that, but they, I watched, they, they talked about it on their YouTube channel. Basically, they've changed the battery. You only okay. need X cells to do a lap, uh, or a lap, a run of the, the Pikes Peak. Sure. You only need X cells. They know exactly how far the fast the car is. They're only making it. it to do one lap, They basically. need to do one lap, and batteries weigh weight. So yeah. you have yep. exactly the amount of batteries that you need well, to Well, you do the same lap. thing with fuel when you're in a race car. True. You only add the same amount of fuel that's going to get you to the right. end of the race. It's the same thing. Well, but this is a record, so there's no regulations on, like, you can only carry X number of pounds or whatever. True. But yes. Should we, we should we like, start a regulation and a standard for Nürburgring laps now? Where it has to be, it has to be well, able to go 500 miles after it does that. There are different kinds of laps. So there's the ultimate record lap, right? right? Which, which, was, just which was fastest. created by the Neo, the N9, which is the, the, the electric car. That's what this yep. is trying to break. Um, 
Then there's the production car lab, lab right. record, which was a pissing contest between Porsche and Lamborghini, which is kind of hilarious because they're owned by <laughs> yeah, same, thing. same company. Uh, and then there was the whole Uricon with the, oh my God, what kind of tires was it wearing? What wasn't it wearing? Oh my God, those aren't legal tires. Oh, they are legal tires. They're optional tires. I don't think so, bro. So, <laughs> oh my God, the internet. The internet is a painful place. So, so basically, there are classifications of Nürburgring yeah, yeah, records, know. right? Um, but the one that really matters is this the one. record. The record. Well, I... It's debatable. There, 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 you could argue that the production car record is almost more important than the reasons because I can buy that car. I mean, right. I can't buy the car, but and you can't buy that car. You can't buy that car, but somebody can buy that car. And they right. can take the car's coffee and say, yeah. hey, Chris, my Porsche can go around the Nürburgring at 630. And you can be like, cool, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know? Yeah, for sure. I still think it's really, really important that to continue to push the envelope and and go faster and faster and faster. And I really like that companies are still even bothering to do it. I and do think I think we're going to reach a limit though, because these electric cars are we're going to reach a limit of what the body can take as far as G force before you pass out. Yeah, uh, talk to a fighter pilot. We're not there yet. I I said we're going to reach a limit at some point. Yes. I mean, but hang on. We're talking about electric cars that can do zero to sixty in like one point eight seconds now, one point five seconds. We're going to reach a limit where you, so so. And the reason I bring this up is. At the Trackhawk launch for the Jeep Grand Cherokee Trackhawk with yeah. all wheel drive and the Hellcat 707 horsepower, that car can launch with 1.4 Gs off the line. Yeah. And so we did the launch control. I would get to do it. I'd hop out. Another journalist would get to do it. They get to hop out, whatever. But there was an instructor right seat. After three launches, the instructor hopped out and said, I'm going to fucking puke. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're going to reach a limit because there's only so much a body can take. Sure. So we're going to reach a limit where... So what... what you know we, what's going to happen? Six minutes is a long time in a race Companies car. are going to start writing software then yeah well our autonomous vehicle went around the ring the self-driving car minutes. there's the self-driving car the robot right. car yeah, right. yeah yeah there's yeah. a hot wheels of that car now. that thing sucks um so what's the what are we going to be chasing after we reach that limit what's next what's there what are we what are we after i think it's what he just said the self-driving yeah. car is trying to go faster the reason i still love the Nürburgring is because it is not a super smooth track. It's so different from one end yeah. to the other. Different you know what I mean? Dude, it's like three different kinds of weather during that exactly. track. Exactly. And that's why I think it still somewhat applies to a road car. You know what this leads us to? Have you guys seen the running man with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Where they just kid. put where they put they put a guy in a ring that has to go fight other this you're taking the human element out of the there's no with an, with a self-driving car doing it, there's no risk. There's no... You've uh, harped on this before. Yeah, if there's no risk, why do we care? Right. Obviously, engineers and dorks and nerds really, really care. But as a little boy growing up, you watch the car go... Who cares? He's not going to care. There's no idol. There's no one to look up to. They're not going to look at like Hans Klaus, the engineer that programmed the software and put a poster of him on the wall. Nobody cares. (laughs) So instead, we're going to watch other dudes kill each other. We already see it with what Ultimate Fighting, right? Ultimate... Why is that popular? Who watches that? I don't. Oh, the UFC, right? I, I don't know even know what's called. I know, I know what you're talking about, but I don't watch it because I don't either. To but your I point, I know no one's going to care after we get to the point where it's just it's the technology. It's the, of the technology. Record. No one's putting a, pro- a poster of a programmer but up on today, their wall. Today, who who there drove that some, latest hang record hang on, on that IDR? There is Do some you know girl the guy? that has a poster of a programmer on her wall, man. It's maybe. You don't so know what post run just while when she was a girl. <laughs> I do. It was probably uh, Green Day. Boys. Yeah. No, no. Don't insult her. No, no. It was the, hey, it was I haven't met Jesse yet. She's going to kill me. She <laughs> yeah. hates me already. She listens to the podcast, so you're, she definitely you're in trouble hates now. Me now. Um, well, I think that's all we have time for. Where can people read more on Motor Authority? 
MotorAuthority.com with an M and an A. All right. Sounds good. That's easy. I really appreciate you coming on. You can follow Joel at, at Joel Fetter. That's right. And uh, in multiple different formats. And uh, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, send us any ideas you have of different show topics. Jake loves to hear that stuff for the history of things that we do. Exclusive episode coming up next week. Correct. With the, uh, with the Patreon stuff. Um, and the best four-cylinder engines of all time coming up next week. Awesome. With that, take care, guys. Take care.